Good evening and welcome to Editing Aloud in a week in which the President has announced newly tightened lockdown regulations. One of the things that struck me though about his announcement on Sunday night is there was barely a mention of the economy. Yet we have had quite serious sets of economic proposals from both the ANC and from business on how we must and urgently revive the economy. Lulu Krugel, you've looked at the ANC plans and the business plans. What do you make of them? Is there a way forward there? Well, I think, Hilary, um, there's a lot of comparisons. When, uh, if you look at, at the key focus sectors that uh, are highlighted in both these plans, there are a lot of comparisons and a lot of similarities. So, in fact, there are a lot of touch points between business and um, the ANC around uh, what direction the economy should go. I think one of the key differences, however, is the role that both parties should play in the revival of the economy. And if you look at the business plan, there's a much stronger focus and, you know, a role being proposed by business to say, uh, to say, but we need to, we want to, and we need to step up and we actually want to play a bigger role in the economy. Whilst if you look at the ANC plan, it seems that they are proposing a bigger role uh, for the state. So, and, and those are two fundamental differences um, along the way in terms of ideo ideological, um, you know, proposals and, and taking the economy forward and where where um, the decision making will be made. But in, in broad strokes, uh, there are also a lot of similarities. So I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, it's impossible to meet each other along the way. Lulu, how much in those in either of those plans is new and different and really responsive to the to the crisis and how the world has changed? I think both of the plans um, recognize that there are certain um, certain things that we've seen pre-COVID already from a global perspective that was going to push the South African economy in a particular direction. And if we didn't respond to that, and still if we don't respond to that, we're going to fall behind. And that's things like digitalization. That's things like uh, the continued fracturing of the global economy and an, and an inward focus that continues to happen. Climate change, is, climate change is also on the agenda. And, you know, looking at the, the world of work and the new workforce. So you can see that, that those, those trends have, have been part of the thinking um, of both of these plans. Um, but I think what is what is still important is how we roll it out and certain of these initiatives, especially if you look from a government perspective, I'm not uh, or, or an ANC perspective, let me put it that way. You know, the, the big focus on infrastructure development uh, for me uh, does not necessarily um, uh, it, it does not take into account that we need certain things to happen now and over the short to medium term to actually create jobs. And that massive focus on infrastructure to rebuild the economy, it's going to take time, it's going to take money, um, it, take, it takes years to put some of these projects on the table. Um, in the, in, the, um, in the, the business plan, there were some very interesting suggestions, you know, the whole um, revamping of the payment system, I think a little bit more focus maybe on the digitization, digitalization of the economy, etc. cetera. Uh, but I think over the short term, we must realize that there's no, no quick fixes in either of these plans that, that, that will suddenly, you know, bring everything back to, to normal. Look, Anya, you've, you've also looked at both of these plans. I mean, if there's not much new in them, um, do they t is that a problem? I mean, look, 
You know, I mean, especially like on the on the, on the ANC front. I mean, I, I don't know whether that I mean whether this is endorsed by the president since he is part of the NEC, for example. I mean, the, I mean, the one thing that struck me. I mean, you said it struck you that he didn't talk about the economy. What struck me about the ANC one as well? He didn't really talk much about the state of the economy where we are at the moment. As Lulu says, there we need to do things now today. I Meaning, for example, he just literally didn't talk at all about about the finance situation, about about the deficits and. You know, no weird. and how we're going to fund any of these programs. And then, then instead, you got the same slogans about using pensions and, you know, the Reserve Bank must do more, developmental central bank, and that kind of stuff. Sometimes, you, know, you should have read these things. It feels like something, you, you know, could have been written by a student somewhere rather uh, than actually people who are vigorously dealing with, with, with policy and how to deal with a crisis that we're facing today. You know, like, if you say you're going to build infrastructure, that's fine, 15, 20 year plan, but but we don't have, we need to have like a six month plan, you know. Rob Rose, uh, your Financial Mail cover this week reporting on new research that gives us a rather bleak sense of where we are right now. Can you tell us about the cover and about the research? Um, sure, it basically used the, the NIDS study, the National Income Dynamic Survey uh, figures and combined it with the coronavirus rapid mobile survey um, response. It was conducted by I think five universities, uh, 30 academics, um, to get a sense of how people are handling the lockdown and what's actually happening on the ground. And I think what was interesting from it, there are obviously a couple of um, sort of more alarming numbers that come out of it. Um, but I think that if you extrapolate what they what they found, it would essentially imply that about three million people have have lost their jobs during the lockdown, um, taking it to maybe 14 million employed from about 17, um, and that's that's pretty massive. And, and but there was there was some interesting parts within that. For example, that two thirds of the people who lost their jobs were women. For example, um, and then within that, it was the it was the bottom of the bottom of the range jobs that that lost most. Manual laborers, I think, took a took a massive knock. Um, and so so there was some interesting dynamics of what this means and how useful grants have been. I mean, one of the figures that struck me the most is that the the distress grant um, had gone to just 3% of the people um, who, who'd lost their jobs, which I found staggering. I mean, I think that's an illustration of just how, you know, I think it's the reality that Lokanyo was basically talking about just now is that government doesn't seem to realize the immensity of this and what this means. You know, that, that ANC plan that Lokanyo was talking about just now, it mentions stabilizing debt just once. It's a lightweight document, and I just, I just feel that the dynamics of what's happening on the ground aren't fully captured. The gravity of it isn't fully captured in government at the moment. Lulu, do, you've not seen the NIDS, the, the the new university study, which has really just come out. But would would a figure like three million surprise you? And if it is of that order, what does that mean for for the economy? Hilary, if it ends up being uh, 3 million, the sad thing is that it's probably twice what we thought and, you know, what our expectations uh, for job losses are showing us. Uh, we were expecting around one and a half million jobs, but I think the trends that Rob have highlighted in terms of women, um, small businesses, uh, the poorest of the poor really being hit hard. Unfortunately, that is something that uh, that we expected as well. And and if you look at where the impact um, has been and which sectors have been most significantly impacted and continues to be most significantly impacted, um, that's the sad reality. I do think, and, and, and from a very quick glance at those numbers, 
it seems to look at both people that have lost their jobs as well as people that are saying that they still had an employment relationship but not earning income. So there is a possibility that some of them might have, uh, have had the opportunity to go back to work or might have it later and could have potentially relied on uh, the TERS scheme, etc. But as Rob said, very few of those, unfortunately, um, really seeing the benefits. And I suppose only time will tell what portion of that people that said that they, they still think they have a job and a formal, formal employment uh, relationship will, would have actually gone back to work. And I'm, I'm really hoping that it's not as bad as that three million. I suppose, however, if one looks at, um, you know, just the kind of contraction um, that, that we, if you, if you look at things like the tax numbers that come, came out, about a 30% contraction in tax revenue in, in, in uh, May, and some other figures that, we, that we've seen about what happened in the real economy, um, those kinds of numbers are congruent with the contraction that we've seen over those couple of months. We just hope that it would look better going forward. Rob Rose, Rob Rose, you talk about this, the lack of a sense of urgency on, on the part of government and indeed on the ANC in, in dealing with the problems. And Lukanya talks about, you know, what do we do about the next six months? I mean, wh what is your sense of what we're now in the third quarter of the year? Um, what is your sense of, of what the, the economy looks like? What, you know, given that we've gone into a, back into a sort of somewhat harder lockdown now, is there well, a recovery at all? The Australians would say it's not pretty. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think I have a sense that there were some models which anticipated that there'd be a sort of a really rapid return to normal. There'd be a lockdown and then people sort of bounce back to normal. And I think that the, you know, that, that obviously hasn't happened and it won't happen. And, and in many companies, I think the retrenchments are starting to happen now as they start to model for what's happening over the next year or two. Um, so I think that, that, that the initial optimistic assessment that it was just a quick lockdown to deal with this thing um, are completely wrong. And I think that the retrenchment numbers are going to look particularly terrible over the next year. Um, we've seen some short-term pain already, but I think that I think the longer-term impact structural job losses is going to be immense, which is why these economic plans are, are really vital. Lucanio, you, you, you've written about the sort of dispute the battle that's going on, the battle of ideas, if you like, that's going on between uh, Finance Minister Tito Mboweni and, um, and his side of, of the divide and the sort of left-wing economists who we spoke about already last week saying, well, government can, must just sort of spend its way out of this. Um, you know, is there a case for this? And if government can't spend its way out of this, what should it be doing? No, no, I mean, it's, I mean, it's quite a difficult one. In, in some ways, people do not actually disagree that, you know, everybody, everybody's right, like Keynesian economics and, you know, the whole, like, how to, but the issue is like, yeah, I mean, you entered this crisis in a, in a much weaker position than, say, you did 10 years ago. I mean, you, you're already, like, looking at deficits or whatever they were, like, 7%, and now you're looking 14, 15%. So it's a bit strange, you know, when, when you have a government that comes up with a budget that sort of gives you a deficit of 15%, and people still call it an austerity budget <laughs> so so but but there's, there's always like a way to I mean there's always a reason to spend more money and we always want to spend more money but the question is like can you actually afford it where do you can you actually even raise the, the, the for the money that's one thing they don't actually that doesn't really get addressed very much by his critics I mean, even if you say you wanted to double the deficit could you actually get the money from the bond market for example you <laughs> know but that, that, that's that's a question that, that don't really get answered. So I don't really have the 
full answer myself, but but it's a, it's a tricky situation for him. And you also you have to like you know, government has to build this credibility going to the future when it can spend now because it is spending now. But 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 you can't say you're just going to do that forever and ever. Then otherwise, like you just lose all credibility in the market. Sunday night's announcement was a reimposition of the alcohol ban amidst very loud cries of protest, not only from the makers of alcohol, but from the suppliers who supply into that supply chain. Lulu, what is the implication of, of reimposing the ban? I mean, obviously there are lots of vested interests here, but, but how serious is this macroeconomically speaking? I mean, um, it is modeling that, that we've done, so I'm not saying it's the be-all and end-all, but uh, the glass industry is one of the industries that we've, we think is probably been the worst hit uh, by the COVID-19 impacts. And that's from two, from two sides, if you look at the alcohol ban, but also because of people changing their buying behavior. So definitely for the glass manufacturers, it's an issue. Um, I know from a recycling perspective, because the restaurants are not selling, it's, it has an impact on them. They also say that they don't attract the same number of people. It's the same with people to the institutions because they can't sell alcohol. Um, and the same goes, goes for the casino. So it has an impact, uh, a quite wide-ranging impact. If you look at the beer industry, um, the agricultural value chain that's connected to that, small farmers, uh, hop farmers, etc., cetera, uh, logistics. So it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. And, um, I mean, obviously, there's also the counter-argument in terms of, of beds being occupied by... Uh, you know, by people that that have abused alcohol and, and hence got involved in trauma and accidents, etc. I'm just trying to figure out a way out of this. You know, is this something that they're going to continue to do now for the next two years because COVID will probably be with us for the next two years? How do you manage that, you know, um, and how do you manage out of it again? Um, I, I don't see an easy way out if we're going to go back and forth and back and forth like this. Look, Kanye, I, I mean, I wanted you to comment on that because in a sense, we don't seem to be, we, we, clear, we have a severe alcohol problem, which is not new. And I can see that the health response um, with a ban on alcohol is, is sort of a response to that. But, but it feels like we sort of, I mean, do you, are we a bit bankrupt of, of solutions here? I think, I mean, really like, I mean, like Lulu saying, like, also the uncertainty of it all. I mean, what's going to happen in the next two years? I mean, are we going to be locking things in and locking it out. You know, like, I mean, anybody who's running a business sort of knows the cost of actually, like, actually closing things down and then opening them up again and then closing them down again. But in fact, we're not really unique in that situation. I mean, the, the same thing is happening across the world. You know, like, I mean, all the states in the U.S. that opened, you know, they were going to bars and uh, all sorts of things were open for like a few weeks. And then suddenly you get the spike in places like Florida and then suddenly they closed down again. I mean, in Australia, they've closed down a couple of cities. So in a way, you know, we're not unique in this dealing with this totally unprecedented situation. And, and, and I can understand why, how it's so difficult for anybody whose job it is to make policy one way or the other, you know, because, and, and I really sympathize with them. But, but some of the decisions, of course, I mean, there, there's some, also the communication around them is also quite, can seem quite arbitrary. Like, you know, when, when you're dealing with that, you know, that Woolworths or whatever, just stop selling whatever they have to sell, but then somebody asks us to get people into a church, and, and then, then they sort of, no, I think that, I think they let themselves down in that way. You know, with, with a sort of inconsistent sort of communication, and also the lack of clarity on what actually informs these decisions. I mean, we know that the MRC had made some modeling in terms of alcohol and the impact on beds, 
but we're not really sure, we, but we don't know for sure whether that's what the decision was based on. Maybe a bit more clarity maybe might help, even though it will, I mean, it was sort of, sort of the, the, the economic situation, but at least, at least it, might, it might deal with the sort of credibility situation. Rob, is this a time to be putting government money into South African airways? Um, I wouldn't think so, no, <laughs> for numerous reasons. I mean, as we talked about in the first half, there are demands on our fiscus. We need to find a way to to do so many other things. We need to start, you know, industrialization projects, infrastructure projects. So do you want to be putting 10, 10.4 billion, or whatever, into this new SAA? And, you know, according to the Business Day reports, it's going to require, it's expected it's going to make trading losses of a couple of billion, six and a half billion for the next couple of years. Would, would anyone in their, in their right minds put that much money into a new airline of all industries? I mean, airlines are the one industry where I think your future is less than rosy. Um, and it just seems like an incredible, it's, it's, it's a sign that the ANC isn't clear about the economic policy, isn't clear about how much money they have. And it's a sign that there's zero accountability for spending decisions over the last maybe 10 years. Lulu, how, uh, Lulu Krugel, how do you understand the sort of government's almost lack of urgency in dealing with the broader economic crisis and yet willingness to certainly contemplate putting 10 or more billion into South African airways? And um, we, do, we, we, we are recording this before we know what the Treasury has decided to do, but, but certainly the fact that, that it has even been contemplated. I mean... How do you explain the sort of political dynamics and what is the economic fallout? Yeah, I mean, if from a business perspective, an airline, even if it wasn't SAA, um, is, the, in my opinion, one of the worst investments that you can make right now. Uh, because there's just so much in uncertainty about where the economy will be going and even uh, and and the, f the future of, of COVID and, and the spread of the virus and all of that, we just don't know for the next two years. So it makes absolutely no sense from a business or economic perspective. Plus then there's the history of SAA um, and the money that's been put in. And I'm just not uh, entirely convinced or convinced at all that um, this is the time to put in more money and that the plan that's put on the table would necessarily be so much different um, than what is what has been, um, you know, offered in the past. So I just think there's more pressing needs at the moment. And I think uh, if you see a, a massive outcry from the rest of, of the citizenry, um, I, I don't think it would come as a surprise. There was already upset people uh, before this. Yes, tourism is a sector that can potentially create a lot of opportunities for South Africa. It is important. It's probably one of the sectors, has COVID not happened, where our focus should have been. But I just don't think the approach that's being taken at the moment around SAA makes a lot of sense from that perspective. Um, and, uh, and yeah, there is just so much more and other areas that I suppose would, would be more sensible ways to invest money at the moment. But, yeah, I, I suppose we'll have to hear if it's really something that the Treasury will support as well. Hilary, can I, add, can I add something to that? Please. I mean, I wanted to say that, you know, we're so worried about losing jobs at, at SAA and the new SAA. Um, but it speaks to the cognitive dissonance amongst our policymakers that they don't seem to think that closing down the alcohol industry and those 18,000 jobs or whatever it is that are being lost right now is a problem. So there's this weird sense that neither side is talking to each other and there's this massive cognitive dissonance between them. 
So if I can add to that, there's I mean, it's not a new thing, this, this, this phenomenon. You've seen it with ESCOM, for example. I mean, you know, governments all, they will fight and fight to save however many thousands of jobs at ESCOM over the last couple of years, but totally not, not giving any thoughts to, to the other jobs that are being lost in industry because of like, you know, mm -hmm. ESCOM's tariff hikes and, uh, and load shedding. So you can lose 100,000 jobs in mining, for example, because of ESCOM. That's fine. But then, but then take out 5,000 people from ESCOM. No, that cannot be done under any circumstances. <laughs> so I, it's, it's, yeah. it's not a new thing, really. Like, I'm, I'm not really sure how we get around it. <laughs> I know everyone, everyone always says our economic prob policy problem is a, a failure to implement. But I'm not sure it's a failure to implement so much as a failure to make those trade-offs. Yeah. Um, to, to, Lulu, to, to sort of face alienating one sex, one lot of vested interests in, in favor of a much broader set of interests. I don't think it's an implementation pro problem so much of a, as a, a choices problem. Am I, am I wrong? No, I agree, Larry. I think uh, we love to blame policy implementation, but I think if you look at uh, the fact that every time that government or a government entity makes a decision, it's policy being, you know, implemented in some way or another, whether it's formal through regulations or not, but at the end of the day, policy and taking this decision um, of SAA forward to Treasury is already um, a policy decision from, from the Department of Public Enterprises. So um, it's, it's I, I completely agree. I think it's a failure of seeing the big picture impacts of decisions and then being those, or making those decisions based on uh, perceived ideological and uh, political motivations rather than seeing the bigger picture. And you're absolutely right. I think it's a question of trying to please everybody and ending pleasing nobody at all. Um, it just doesn't make um, economic sense in any way. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, Rob, at this point, what is the sort of fallout? And where would you put your money? Just on the bright side, there must be some upside somewhere. Where, where, would you, where would you invest if you were investing? And this is not investment advice. Where, I'm not allowed to say Mauritius. Where's the upside? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, uh, I mean, you've got to, I mean, I do think infrastructure is a, smart, is a smart way to do things. I think in a national sense, it's probably the right way to go. Um, I just think the issue is, is finding the right funding. And that's where the two business plans from the ANC and business tend to diverge. Business isn't doesn't favor changing regulation 28 um, to make it easier for pension funds. They're looking externally for more funding. The ANC seems to believe there's a never ending pot internally that can be harnessed, including pensions to, to fund this. Um, and I think that's going to be the debate. You know, Tito Mboweni, I think where he's really good is that what he's done is introduced a greater culture of accountability for the money spent. Because I think we always talk about needing more money, needing more money without saying we already have a lot of it and we don't spend it wisely. So. I think a greater focus on accountability for what we do spend would be great. And I think that's what the finance minister, even though he has lots of faults, I mean, I think that's one of the things that, that he has emphasized. Look, Anya, where do no, you see no, the no, outside? No, no, I totally agree. Like it's, but, but I think it goes back to what you were saying about you know, people just not, just not recognizing that, 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 that there are trade-offs, that there isn't like an unlimited pot of money anywhere. So, and being able to make those hard decisions. And also make decisions not necessarily that are going to please people today or tomorrow. Like just decisions with the, you know, what George Bush used to call it, he said he never had it himself, but he's called a vision thing. I think we seem to a lot of time miss that vision thing. You know, it's all about tomorrow, about the tomorrow's headlines and tomorrow's like election. I think that's what's the problem with 
with having a democracy and having to make hard decisions. <laughs> no, no, not that I think a dictatorship makes make them any worse, any better, but... <laughs> Lulu, I mean, if, if there's upside here, or, or there's got to be some upside potential, um, and where do you see it? Sectors yeah, which will be winners, um, outcomes in the next couple, six months or 12 months, which will be desirable outcomes. Can you see mm. some? I think in, um, a sector that's, that, um, that there's opportunity, and it would be sad if we miss it, and we've been speaking about it for quite some time, agriculture and agro-processing. Um, you know, even if you look uh, globally, Germany has, has uh, brought out some research to say that we want to focus a lot more as a country on agro-processing and agriculture. Uh, we've seen some interesting trends in people's buying behavior over the last couple of months. Um, the one thing that we that we will continue to need is food globally, and uh, and you know that's the one industry that although there's certain parts of it that I think will hurt if you look at wine or certain of the luxury components etc. If you look at it across the board, that's an industry that can probably come out of this better than most. So if we're looking at job creation creation and job opportunities over the short term, uh, in my opinion, that's one area where we should focus. And the other one's water. Um, you know, that's that. those are two of the industries where I think they, over the short term, there's some opportunities for us to actually create jobs and, and, and opportunities. Um, Infrastructure is also there. I think there's a there's a couple of plans that's, and, and opportunities that's already in a, in a, at a point of development where we can immediately roll them out. But for, for a lot of those, um, it might be more of a longer term play, although um, important though. So on the bright side, farming, cooking, baking, and eating, at least that's looking up. Thanks for joining us. Please join us again next week for another edition of Editing Aloud. And in the meantime, please stay safe.